You are listening to the Archery Maniacs Podcast. This is Remy Warren. I am Rihanna Carey. My name is Adam Foss. This is Paul Tetford, professional archer. Hey everyone, I'm Christy Titus, and you are listening to Archery Maniacs. We cover everything archery, from the hunting side to the tournament side, with stories, tips and tactics, gear reviews, and more. That helped my tuning game so much when I made sure that all my arrows were square. And I'm just staring into his eyes. Blood's dripping off of its tines. Mud is everywhere. The clarity these mavens offer is amazing. I'm just like Spider-Man, you know, on this rock. You know, just <laughs> laying there. Belly crawling in there and I can barely fit in there and I can hear the cat growling at me. So I put my hand on his shoulder and pushed him and we just ran at this elephant. In this episode, I have Joel Turner of Shot IQ and Brent Hahn of Valkyrie Broadhead Delivery Systems, two guys that have been shooting traditional archery for a long time, and they dive into the ins and outs of getting started in traditional archery. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, guys. Well, thank you, obviously, for hopping on the show tonight. Um, you want to introduce yourself real quick? <laughs> Brent, go ahead, buddy. <laughs> hey, my name is Brent Hahn. Uh, I've been shooting traditional for about 30-something years off and on. Uh, about the last 20 years have been pretty solid traditional. I started out with a compound and moved away from it years ago to increase the challenge. And um, that's about it. I've been hooked with the trad bug ever since. I'm passing it over to Joel Turner. Hey folks, Joel Turner here, and I've been shooting a trad bow since I was seven years old. I'm 40 now, so a few years, and uh, I just love traditional archery because I get to see my arrow fly, and it's just, uh, I started shooting strictly trad for hunting in 2010, and since that time, it's it's gone pretty well, so there's lots of, lots of tricks of the trade that we're going to bring you today, however. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for hopping on the show. Obviously, I am your host, Zach Harold, and you are listening to Archery Maniacs. So tonight we're going to talk a little bit about traditional archery and some of the do's and don'ts and a little bit about getting started on uh, the traditional journey. So thanks, guys, for hopping on the show. You bet. Thanks, Zach. Anytime, for real. I like listening and learning from both of you. (laughs) Brent, why don't you start talking about that, the draw weight thing again that we were talking about before? Well, the biggest thing that I've noticed looking back on my 30 plus years of trad archery, and I used to be one of them, I got to say, was overbowed. That is the number one, overbowed and and out of tune arrows, but overbowed trumps that about 99% of the time. And I had friends that told me, you know, I should shoot a lighter bow and they'd been in there a long time. And I was like, oh, I can pull this thing. And, and when you go to a bow shoot, any trad bow shoot you go to, it doesn't matter where you are. 99% of the guys never even come to full draw. And that is probably the biggest problem of traditional archery or getting into it that there is. And the reason is because everyone starts out too heavy. You know, I, I taught myself and 
you know, I was, you know, when I was younger and had, you know, I didn't care how heavy the bow was. I was going to pull that thing and all that stuff. And then um, what brought it home, what started bringing it home was about 10 years ago. I shot with some guys out of California. You might know them. It was like, they're pretty, like, anyway, they're California guys. And um, they were all shooting 52-pound bows. And these are experienced bow hunters. And I had a 70-pound bow. And I'm like, what, what, you, what, you know, what's with these guys? They can't pull a heavy bow. What's going on? And we go went stop shooting. And usually when I stop shoot with guys, we're hitting, you know, we're aiming at a pine cone. Everybody's coming close. And once in a while, somebody hits it. Well, these guys were hitting the pine cone every time. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, geez. now I got to start concentrating. It's not even any fun to stop shoot. I mean, every shot I'm sitting there, got to you know, shoot for my life. And, you know, I was keeping up with them, but I'm like, what is going on? Cause I've never shot with guys like this before. And everybody had a crispy, clean, smooth, you know, gorgeous release. And, you know, I'm plucking that thing and, you know, caranging that, that string. And, and, uh, it started sinking in there. I'm like, what in the world? These guys, every single one of those guys had a smooth, clean release. And I was like, you know, and I'm plucking that sucker like crazy, but most guys aren't going to know what that is. But um, I had trained myself with heavy bows, and I, I trained myself wrong. And so for the last 10 to 15 years, I've been trying to train myself to shoot correctly, and it's a constant battle. And those guys all started out at a young age with light bows coming to full draw, pulling through it cleanly. And it was like something, you know, they do naturally. And for me, starting out with a heavy bow, training myself with a heavy bow, I did all the wrong stuff. And, but I practiced like crazy to get better. And I was a really good shot in practice. And I always failed when the chips were down always i mean for 15 years i blew the shot so um it's it was but now looking back i know it was my self-teaching for one not reading a book at all about you know any archery book and overbowing myself think because i just because I could pull it doesn't mean I could shoot it. It's pretty much what I look back on now. And if, and now I'm back to, I mean, I'm shooting light bows and shooting better than I ever have in my life. So one of um, the, uh, one of the, one of the uh, lures, of, one of the lures of traditional archery is the simplicity of it, right? If, you know, whether you've shot a compound before, and if you have, you look at somebody shooting a stick bow and, if that person's a decent shot with that stick bow, that compound shooter's looking at that person, going, man, that looks really simple. And it it is simple in its in its physical nature, but when you know that compound shooter looks at that, and then they may even pick up a stick bow. They may, hey, let me let me shoot that for a second. And that that stick bow shooter hands him that bow, and 
they drop back and they kind of point it out there and they shoot. And the, the first arrow kind of may go a bit astray, but then they very quickly start to shoot decent with that stick bow. And they, they get that idea in their head. Hey, you know, I could do this. And certainly anybody can do it. And the problems start a little bit later on in the process when you start to take advice from people that that have never really been in a shot process before. Uh, they may have been mediocre with a compound and then they want to pick up a stick bow and they put that same lack of process into shooting a stick bow and things will par- fall apart very quickly. But getting on the draw weight thing with Brent, you know, used to, used to have to shoot heavier poundage with the arrow systems that were out there. But now, especially with Brent's Valkyrie archery system with that really heavy FOC, the skinny arrows, the center pin stuff, you don't have to shoot heavy weight. And I used to shoot um, 56 pounds. I'm not a very big fella, so 56 pounds for me was pretty heavy. Uh, however, I started. that's when I started in the FOC game, but not near like, like what I have since I've met Brent. But now I shoot, you know, 48 to 50 pounds on everything. I would not be afraid to go shoot an Alaska moose with that weight uh, just because of of Brent's arrow systems. But, you know, you don't used to used to have to shoot heavy poundage to to send a, a wood shaft or a heavy aluminum that was a physically a mass weight heavy arrow to get any type of cast out of it. You had to shoot heavy weight. But. Weight becomes a distraction from the shot process because once you start into pulling that bow, it doesn't get easier when you shoot a stick bow. It gets more difficult the farther you pull it back. And, you know, the stick bows of yesteryear, they would really stack. You'd go from two and a half pounds an inch for the first 22 or so inches and then after that you're starting to stack to three four five six pounds an inch once you get past 28 inches it gets really crazy so now they've with new technologies they've softened up on that a bit but uh still it it still doesn't get any easier so if that archer is just trying to get that thing to full draw and then allowing their subconscious to just kind of take over for them sure that works for about uh, about a month and then the distraction starts in and the body, the mind starts learning things. And that's where some of the problems start in traditional archery. Hmm. That makes perfect sense. Absolutely. So, I mean, we haven't even got into what the science is of it yet, but I mean, the reason that I got into traditional archery, I, I was, uh, you know, doing all the elk calling competition stuff and doing the elk hunting things. And and I started to get good at calling in bulls. And, you know, I killed, oh, once I started, it took me 13 years to actually kill a bull elk with my bow. But once I started killing them and started figuring out the science of how to concentrate under stress, then I started doing pretty well. And I always shot my compound with no sights. And I killed five bulls that way. And then in 2010, I dedicated uh, my hunting to stick bows only, and I've taken seven bulls with my stick bows since then. But uh, it's 
it's quite a journey, but it's very, very rewarding. I mean, I got into that just, I've always shot bare bow, but being able to watch your arrow fly is, it's the catch for all of us in archery. There's nobody out there that shoots an arrow and doesn't want to see it fly. I mean, hence the reason for lighted knocks and bright fletching and all those things. It's the lure. When we were seven years, when I was seven years old, started shooting. I love to watch the arrow fly. And that's one thing in compound archery. If you're shooting with sights and stuff and nothing against people that do that, obviously, but you're, you're taking away the biggest part the most enjoyable part of archery for me and that's watching the arrow fly if you shoot your compound with sights and you shoot the arrow properly with a surprise break you probably don't pick up your arrow within the first 30 yards i have a lot of people that shoot with sights and they you know they shoot it'll shoot a critter and they're they'll not know where they hit it because they shot a proper arrow because they're in the control process shooting program but they didn't see where they hit it because, you know, all that stuff is in the way. So it just takes away a little bit for me. So that's why I shoot trad bows, and I just absolutely love it. Awesome. Yeah, and I, it's funny, interesting that you say that because I very rarely see the flight of my arrow. And I, I shoot compound, obviously, with sights and that's – and you're right. I very, very rarely see my arrow <laughs> unless – Every once in a while when I shoot at longer distances, you know, I might see it, but – and I don't I don't shoot loom knocks or anything, so you're right. I very rarely see it. Yeah, when you – I mean when you watch your arrow spin from your bow and travel down your line of sight, the trajectory path that you have chosen, that your subconscious mind has chosen for that specific shot – when you watch that arrow spin and go into the crease behind an elk's shoulder, very rarely do people go back to shooting compounds after that. Well, I could understand why. <laughs> it is magical. Well, I'm going to chime in here. That is precisely what the whole tracking is about. I mean <clears> – <throat> We call it trad. I mean, we have pretty high tech gear, but you, when you can pull back your bow with your technique and execute your shot perfectly and the arrow goes, you, you can honestly say that you did that. You know, you're not, I mean, it's, it's all you under high stress situations. It's all, all the shooter. There's nothing else help. <laughs> Everything's working against you at that moment, and like I say, and if you could actually see the tension of your fletching, then you know it's really good. But um, anyway, I had to chime in on that because Joel is just what he said is exactly what I have experienced, and the first time it ever happened to me was a, a happy compound. Was actually a Browning Nomad. It was like an eighty-nine dollar compound, but I squirrel out of a tree barebow. Um, yeah, like thirty-five yards, and I saw the whole thing, and it was all me. And I was, that was, I was probably eighteen, 
17, 18 years old, and I was absolutely just, I couldn't even believe it. I was like, everything that I envisioned in my mind just happened in front of me, and that was it. I was done. Compounds were history after that. <laughs> so. There's a phenomenon, Zach, called taxychia. And when you get under high stress, you talk. we talk about all the time in tactical situations where at the moment of truth, when you take a shot, be it on a critter or, or whatever, your mind is working so quickly that it looks like things are happening in slow motion. You talk to people that have been in gunfights and they talk about how they actually watch the slide cycle on their pistol. They watch the brass come out of the ejection port on their pistol, things that they've never seen before. Mm-hmm. But those extreme amounts of stress, they see those things, just like when you're shooting a trad bow, because <laughs> compared to today's compounds, it really is in slow motion. <laughs> you know? mm. I mean, shooting like 175 feet per second or something, where most guys are shooting 100 feet per second faster than that, at least. But if you couple that fairly slow action with taxychia, oh, it's just fantastic. <laughs> Let me tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. I just, yeah. I can't remember the last time that I was able to watch my arrow fly, so I could imagine where that would just be a, an amazing feeling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, watch, I'm looking at a picture of you and your boy shooting right now, and he's shooting barebow with no sights, right? Yep. Okay, so he's he is seeing those things, and you know it looks to me like he is pulling back way past his eye with his little compound there, and but he, how in the world is his subconscious lining all of those things up? I mean, my kid started shooting when he was ten months old, and he shot with no sights, and I highly recommend people allow their kids to shoot with no sights to start with so that they can see that trajectory path. Their mind will start to memorize that trajectory path. I mean, just like your little boy, I mean, he's got he's got two different axes that his, his mind is having to figure out, right? Because mm-hmm. he, his arrows can't be lined up underneath his eyes, so it's not lined up, you know, horizontally with the target. But he's actually seeing the pitch of the arrow. So he at he's four years old, right? Uh, is that yep. correct? Yep. So at four years old, his subconscious is picking up a trajectory path. And, you know, as he gets a little bit older, you'll probably refine his anchor point and stuff like that. But there's no reason to put a sight on his bow mm-hmm. until he until he starts to see trajectory paths. And then once he's into that, then you can certainly, you know, put a sight on his bow or whatever. But it's uh, you got to start kids off that way. Otherwise, because, I mean, we're talking about, like Ted Nugent says, the mystical flight of the arrow. It hooked Brent Hahn a lot of years ago. It hooked me a lot of years ago. It's what hooks all of us. So people have to, just on a side note here, you got to let your kids shoot barebow to start with. And then, you you know, once they advance and, and uh, can pick some more stuff up, then you can put a sight on their bow or whatever. But, man, it's, it is the hook. Watching that arrow fly is the hook. 
Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So, what's, you know, <clears throat> that was that was a great tip as far as the weight of the bow because that's something that, you know, like I've told both of you guys, I have never really done anything with traditional archery. So, that was an awesome tip in itself because I just was like, that makes a lot of sense, you know, because you would assume – Obviously, coming from a compound, you're like, okay, I pull 70 pounds with my compound, and I should be shooting a 70-pound recurve. You know, it's just kind of, I guess, the probably the common thought. Um, so that's that's something that I would have never never thought of or dreamt of. So that was awesome. When when people start shooting with their fingers, you know, they're gonna go they're gonna go to shoot a trad bow or whatever, and they're gonna have to figure out whether they want to shoot split finger, meaning one finger over the knock and two below, or three fingers under the knock. And, you know, Brent shoots – you still shooting split finger, right, Brent? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Brent shoots split finger. I've shot both ways, split and three under. There's benefits to each. Brent, why do you shoot split finger? Um. I shoot so I can hit a pipe plate out to 60. I mean, that's my reason. In fact, Joel, you, you tell me all the time because my point on is like 57 yards because I have a low anchor. Mm -hmm. But with my low anchor, I'm only trying to hit a kill zone on mm -hmm. a big game animal. I'm not trying to hit the X ring and a target. If I was, I would – Obviously, raise my anchor up, but with my visualization and practice and form, I only want on about the size of a nine-inch pie plate as far as I can, and my—that's why I do it. I mean, I split—I shoot split finger, so that drops my and my air lower to increase my trajectory on close range. It's not as accurate, but on longer range it is. So that, that you know, we've, well, I don't, I don't even know if we ever talk, talked about that three hammering on me to change my anchor point or change my, my back anchor. That's why, because when I shoot, I have the greatest distance of hitting a general, of you know, like a pie plate. That's that's the only reason I shoot that way. So if I was trying so, to score on, I would I would total. So those are your. I mean, there's lots of options when it comes to shooting with your fingers. The two main categories are shooting split finger and three under. And if you shoot three under, it changes the plane at which you see that arrow. And it gets the arrow a little bit closer to your eye. And, you know, there's a lot of different aiming methods. And I say that with air quotes because everybody talks about different aiming methods of split vision, gap shooting, true instinctive. Some people say they never see their arrow. All of those things are actually the same way of aiming. It's all your subconscious setting your arrow on a trajectory path. And 
you don't you, you don't know what that path needs to be unless you shoot a little bit, right? So once you start shooting, let's say you do split finger and you shoot with the index finger on your anchoring hand, on your draw hand, in the corner of your mouth. That's a fairly low anchor, but it's a very common anchor for people to start with in the traditional world. One of the things is, is that does allow you to have a farther, what's called a point on distance. That is the distance at which you can put the point of your arrow on the spot and hit the spot. The farther that, that anchor point is down your face, the farther your point on distance is going to be. The closer the arrow is to your eye or the higher the anchor point is, the closer the point on distance is going to be. And that's where people get into gap shooting and such. Like gap shooting would be, uh, let's say your point on distance is 30 yards. Well, you would know that at 20 yards, you'd have to put your arrow maybe 10 inches below the, below the target, right? But even gap shooting is still, once you get the hang of it, that even becomes instinctive. There are people that remain cognitive in the gap system, like when you're shooting field targets and such. Like you would know that at, at 23 yards, you'd have to put the point on the pro ring on the four, you know, in a, in a field target or something like that. You know, and then at past your point on distance, you'd be a certain number of inches above the target, depending on the range. So, <clears throat> but all of it, Truly, when you boil it down, no matter what you want to call your aiming system, it's simply your subconscious setting the arrow on a trajectory path. Now, one of the things that people need to be aware of, and hopefully people don't think that I'm a sexist pig when I say this, women see trajectory paths completely differently than men do. So when when a female picks up a trad bow and like if you've been shooting trad for a while it could be a frustrating thing because you would say to this female just draw back and point the arrow at the target and it's going to be varying distances above or below the target and just point it out there and and let's see where this this one goes females do not see that particular spatial relationship the same as males do so if Guys, if you're out there and you want your lady to shoot trad with you, females usually need to shoot a point-of-aim system, meaning they need to be able to put their point on a specific thing underneath or above the target. So what I do when I'm training females to shoot uh, bare bow is I'll take a tennis ball and I'll hang it hang it from the center, depending on what the, what the females – uh, the point is I can kind of get a rough estimate of where that needs to be for 10 yards, 20 yards and what have you. And instead of just telling them to point their arrow out there and see where it goes, I'll have them draw back and put the arrow point on the tennis ball. And that tennis ball will be below the target. And then when they shoot that shot and they hit high or low, I just adjust the tennis ball so that they start to, they'll start to see that space relationship. And then eventually you can take the tennis ball away. But the quickest way to get females to see that is to give them an actual point of aim. So, again, it's 
split finger or three under, and there's all kinds of controversy out there on which one you're going to shoot, which one's best, which one gives you the cleanest release. But Brent is correct in saying that he's got a very specific reason for why he shoots split finger and anchors where he does. Because if Brent tried to do what he does at long distance with three under, he would eventually get to the point where he's trying to look through his hand, through his bow hand, and he wouldn't be able to see the target hmm. out there out there at those greater distances. Hmm. That's so, interesting. You know, and I've... I've completely gone the other direction. I shoot with my thumb just because I'm constantly trying to challenge myself. And I thought, you know, that many people in the world that shoot with their thumb can't be wrong. So I I started shooting with my thumb, and now I shoot with my arrow on the other side of the bow like a lot of Asian cultures do and stuff. So it's just all good fun and, and new challenges. So. That's cool. Yeah, I actually one of the pictures or videos that you had um, posted about one of the other podcasts that you did with us, um, and that was one of the comments. You know, is it just me or is he shooting a left-handed bow right-handed? And yeah. I was just, I was at a loss for words. You know, I'm like, you know, that's what it looks like to me too. But I'm not going to say that. I'm sure Joel knows his stuff, so there's got to be a reason why he's doing it. <laughs> Yeah, I was so confused. I didn't really know what I was doing, so that's just the way it ended up. But no, that's that's actually on purpose, though. That's awesome. That's awesome. That that way of shooting with the arrow on the other side of the bow was developed by Asian cultures that shot mostly off of horseback. Because when when you shoot with your thumb, you wrap your thumb around the string, and then your index finger wraps around your thumb. Well, that is on... Your index finger is actually on the right side of your arrow shaft. So you can actually hold the arrow with pressure from your index finger against the side of the bow so that when you're bouncing on the horse, your arrow's not flopping all over the place. That's why that was developed that way. Hmm. It wasn't until, you know, Western cultures started to put the arrow on the other side and shoot with their fingers that that the whole you know, Mediterranean style, whatever you want to call it, uh, that all started later on. But the first cultures that shot off a horseback, they shot with their arrow on the other side of the bow. Hmm. So that's where that comes from. So actually, it's I'm skipping way back to like before we even knew about traditional archery and shooting with their fingers. So it's it's just all good fun. Like Kill of the Hunt. <laughs> right. Exactly. exactly. That's, that's exactly how they shot. Huh. That's interesting. That's That makes sense, though. So your arrow doesn't yeah. bounce off because <laughs> something tells me it would be hard to ride your horse and knock another arrow. <laughs> right. right. Well, awesome, awesome. So as far as – you know, obviously, you guys, it's been a while since you guys started <laughs> shooting traditional archery. Um, but, you know, you, you'd mentioned the, the poundage on the bow. Um, you know, what, what's, what's another one or two kind of tips, you know, because obviously I could go to Walmart and probably buy a recurve bow that's 30 mm-hmm. pounds and start shooting, you know, but, 
you know what what what's your what's what's your kind of advice on on something like that? Go ahead, Brent. Okay, well, I'll take this one just quick <laughs> because this is the traditional archery is fairly simple, but you know it's, it's compound same way. It's most of the compound guys that I have that come here that want to shoot the by Valkyrie archery system. The main thing I tell them, the number one thing, it doesn't matter how how strong their bow is or what they're shooting, it doesn't matter. It's to tune the bow, tune the arrow to the bow. And it's it's fairly important in compound. Pretty important in compound to our arrow system. But it is absolutely the number one thing in tradi- traditional archery. You know, the, the tuning of the arrow. And that is one of the things that there's almost, God, that's one of the things that's been left out in the archery for the last 30, 40 years is tuning the arrow to the bow. You know, I mean, when you, you can't, even you can't go to Walmart and buy a bow and an arrow and expect it to shoot. It's it's almost impossible. <laughs> so, I mean, it's true. It's true. But um, it's one of those things that you know it's, it takes a little bit. It's very simple, but it takes a, a you know a little bit of knowledge. But it's, it's super simple. It's Brace height, a brace. It's, it's how short your string is for your bow, and the stiffness of your arrow with your head weight. That's it. So, I mean, the the bow and arrow is a very simple, very simple tool. But it, you know, it requires a little bit of knowledge to to tune it in to where it needs to be. But one of the one of the things that somebody would want to do if they just go pick up a bow is you know or if they get one from a shop or whatever is just like Brent saying you got to have a brace height that's proper for that particular bow you know there's bows out there now that are down in the six and a half range of brace height there's bows that are at uh, eight and a half inches of brace height so to start somewhere in the middle you know maybe if you got uh you know a cheaper bow like a, a low-end Samick or something like that, you know, get that thing at seven and a half, eight inches of brace height just to start with. And brace height is the distance between the deepest portion of the grip and the string. You know, so if that's somewhere around seven and a half to eight inches, that's a good starting point. When you're shooting a stick bow for the first time, your knock point height is not anywhere close to what it's supposed to be with a compound. You should start at half an inch above center with a with a with a stick bow and it's and you're probably going to have to go higher than that a lot of stick bows out there require five eighths of an inch or even slightly higher on your knock point height make sure that you're shooting with two knock points one above the arrow and one below the arrow because when you pull a stick bow back depending on if you have any finger pressure on the top or if you're shooting three fingers under and there's pressure from the bowstring on the top of the knock, 
if you shoot that and you shoot fairly loose serving uh, or fairly loose knock fit, your arrow can slide down your string, down your serving while it's in the force draw curve of your bow. So two knock points is a thing that I see a lot of people not doing. You won't find an Olympic archer that only has one knock point, right? So let's take a take a clue from them. Uh, so hey, set your knock. Let me chime in here real quick. Go ahead. The, <clears throat> one of the things that is huge in trad archery, anybody that picks up a magazine or a book is going to read about bare shaft tuning. And when Joel, Joel's kind of tipping on that, you know, and I'm looking at these guys, I did it for years. I would spend months bare shaft tuning. And the reason I spent months bare shaft tuning was because I had bad form. And so I don't even, I don't do bare shaft tuning anymore. I mean, I don't do it at all. I can confirm what I think with bare shaft tuning. But I have proper form, and the bare shaft tuning, if guys don't have perfect form, you cannot bare shaft tune, period. I mean, that's, you know, you, there's a lot of books and a lot of guys talking about bare shaft tuning, but that's for guys with proper form. But a newbie into trad archery, bear shaft tuning does you no good whatsoever. So um, I would, you know, if the if you're shooting and it's hitting where it's supposed to, and you're new to trad archery, I would work on your form and just stick with what hits where you think it should go. Then don't worry about bear shaft tuning at all. I mean that is something for an advanced archer, in my opinion. Handing it when back. You're, when you're shooting with your fingers, you know that arrow paradoxes differently than when you shoot with a release aid. It paradoxes left and right, or flexes left and right. And you know, you your arrow has to be the proper spine to actually go around whatever you're using for an arrow rest. It, either you're shooting off the shelf or you're shooting with an elevated rest. But highly, highly recommend, especially, you know, new archers and especially with kids, because with kids it's difficult to get arrows that are weak enough to flex properly off those little kid bows. Mm-hmm. So one of the things you're going to be dealing with is fletching contact on the bow. So when you have your kid or your new archer, make sure that they're shooting feather fletching so that that contact is absorbed by those feathers. And just the overall arrow flight will improve dramatically because it's really difficult to get arrows that are weak enough for those, for those kids. And, uh, you know, a lot of people will take their compound arrows and put them on their stick bow and expect them to shoot with banes or whatever, but they're usually too stiff and you're going to get fletching contact if you're shooting plastic banes. So switch to a feather and, uh, and then once you get into it, of all the tuning methods that are out there, I don't do any of them anymore other than broadhead tuning because broadheads will never lie to you. You know, 
a bear shaft is not the actual arrow that you're shooting. Paper tuning is, are you catching the first paradox of the arrow or are you not? Are you at the right distance to see it? And when you screw a broadhead on there, are you changing your FOC because it's longer than your field point? And it's all kinds of technical stuff. But when you shoot a broadhead, it will never lie to you. Meaning that if you shoot a field point at a target 20 yards away, and then you shoot the same arrow with a broadhead, and that broadhead hits to the left of your field point, if you're a right-handed shooter, that means that the arrow is coming out tail left or tail right. If that broadhead shoots to the left, the arrow had to have come out tail right, which means it's too stiff, right? So you have to do things that you know, add weight to the front or lengthen the arrow, whatever you need to do, or increase your bow poundage. There's all kinds of stuff you can do, but broadheads will never lie to you. So I, it's and it's the actual arrow that you're going to be shooting at crunch time. So that's that's what I do, and and I've just had phenomenal success, especially with Brent's help uh, with with broadhead tuning and and after going to his arrow system, holy mackerel, do those broadheads fly phenomenal. <laughs> so. and Joel, well, you know, that's one of the things that we incorporate in our arrow system is the weight forward characteristic of our field tips matching the broadheads mm-hmm. so that your arrow paradox is the same. So wherever your field tip hits, it flexing around the bow and doing doing what all the paradox stuff it does – it's the same for broadheads. So, I, you know, if you're hitting with field oh guys, well, it, they're, like, it shoots good with field tips. I'm like, well, if it's the field tips, a broadhead should hit in the same spot, period. If they don't, then, you know, there's some, we've got to figure out what's going on because there's something going on. But if everything's properly tuned, they'll hit in the same spot. And, but you can't, the problem with traditional archery is, is bad form affects everything. It's very difficult to be as precise as a combat bow unless you have exquisite form. And that's, you know, I send test kits out all the time compound guys, I sent them two arrows. Maybe four, two of each. With a trad guy, I'm, I'm looking at zero. Because I don't know how what his what a really or anything like that. It takes you know, who what's gonna work with a trad guy. With compound experienced compound guy, I I could send two arrows and one of the two is gonna work. But, you know, form is imperative in the trad world. You know, it's more about the shooter than the equipment, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. What do you think, Joel? So, oh, go ahead, Zach. Do you have something to say? No, no, I, no. Okay. So, in, in speaking of form and form problems, let me talk a little bit about the science of when you when you pick up a bow and you decide that you're going to shoot that bow with your fingers. Your fingers, being that they are directly connected to your brain, 
that is where things start to fall apart. Your body and your mind doesn't think it's falling apart. It thinks it's becoming more efficient. So let's say a new shooter picks up a trad bow. They get matched arrows. They got feather fletching. They've got everything squared away. They're going to go out and shoot this bow. And if the, even if they've been shooting a compound for a while, but on their compound, they punch their trigger. Or, or even if they shoot their compound perfectly, now they want to go to this simple thing of trad archery. But the difference is now their release mechanism is connected directly to their brain. So what happens with that is it's a breakdown of the mental process because the first time you pick up a bow, you draw it back and you aim it where you think it needs to go and you let it and you release it. Pretty easy. Wow. Hey, guys, this trad bow stuff's pretty easy. So then they do it again and they do it again and again and again. And every time they shoot, their mind is learning. It's learning when the bow is going off, what motor programs need to happen to make the bow go off, and it's starting to make you more and more efficient. So you take that new trad archer that was so good to start with, and everybody's going, man, you're pretty good at this, right? You should you should shoot that stick bow. And then six months down the line, you watch them shoot, and they're just barely touching their face with their anchor, and then they let the arrow go. And they're still doing pretty good. And then six months later, you watch that person shoot. And I have seen virtually almost every shooter that I've ever watched, which I've watched thousands of shooters. It's the progression of the human mind. It's not just the progression of the trad shooter. So, but what they're doing out there is they're practicing and they're practicing their shooting and they're becoming more and more efficient at shooting and efficiency does not equal you holding on the spot it doesn't make any sense to the subconscious to hold that bow back and criminy it's 50 pounds i don't want to be holding 50 pounds and yeah we're close to the spot let's jump up to it and let it go and they start aiming for just a millisecond if they get the full draw and then they start to lock off target because their mind is much more calm off target so you'll see people lock below the target or lock above the target and then drop the bow or jump the bow up in a millisecond. And it's linked to the motor program that releases the string. Because, again, with the core problem of shooting, your mind will not allow you to cause your body impact as a surprise. It wants to know, it must know when that bow is going to go off. So most people, when they pick up any bow, they allow their subconscious to tell it, to tell that release hand when to let it go. And it gets more and more efficient at that. And it thinks it's doing better. But your accuracy suffers because when your subconscious is allowed to tell itself when to make that explosion, it always links pre-ignition movements bracing type movements of grabbing the hand right your bow hand starts to close before you let go your eyes start to close before you let go all these pre-ignition things get linked to this release motor program and that's where we see you know the form things that brent's talking about this breakdown 
of form of not getting the full draw, of grabbing the bow, plucking the release. Those are all pre-ignition movements. So to stay out of that realm, if people would start off shooting a trad bow with a psychological trigger, like a, a clicker or maybe learning the feather to nose technique, a tab sear, a grip sear, um, any of those psychological triggers, here's the science behind it. You know, when most people are shooting, they're allowing, like I said, they're allowing the subconscious to tell itself when to let go. But when you shoot with a psychological trigger, and let's talk about a clicker for a second. So a clicker, a, a limb-mounted clicker on a, on a trad bow, you draw back to your anchor point, and then you aim. And then after your aim is complete, you start your shot activation movement. You start your back tension. You start pulling, and you start concentrating on that movement until the clicker pops. And when it clicks, it does some very significant things in your mind because your body is full of what's called mechanoreceptors. Your eyes are an organ that's full of mechanoreceptors. You get feedback through that, right? Your ears, your taste buds, and the corpuscles that are in your skin, right? They're all mechanoreceptors. The ones that are in your skin, they detect pressure differences, right? The feeling of touch. And they're all throughout your body. And what happens is when you have a clicker, it clicks. After you're pulling clicks and those mechanoreceptors in your ears pick that up and they then send the motor program they send that feedback to the brain and that brain then sends the release motor program so there's no pre-ignition movements because those mechanoreceptors send it instead of the subconscious sending it itself you see, I know I'm getting a little deep here, but when you have that psychological trigger, then you can you can have that form that we all want of standing up straight, you know, shoulders in alignment, all that stuff, draw back and aim, get it done, watch to keep it, and then start the concentration on that movement and allowing that psychological trigger to click or pop or whatever it may be that it does but it's got to be outside the body or mind. When that thing clicks, the mechanoreceptors send the motor program or they send the, they send the signal to send the release motor program. Therefore, you don't have all those pre-ignition movements. Same thing that's happening when you're shooting your compound, you're shooting back tension. You know, you don't, your, your release is not connected to your, to your brain. It's, the sear system within it, if you would just draw back and aim and then hook deep on that trigger and then do that movement slow enough that you could stop it or modify it at any moment, then you get those surprise breaks and a zero input shot. So that's how you do that. That's how you stay out of the pitfalls of falling into snap shooting and locking off target and all of those things that affect every single traditional archer or any archer that shoots with their fingers or any type of mechanism that is connected directly to their brain.
So get a psychological trigger. I highly, highly recommend people start out shooting a clicker and learning how to run it mentally. And that's, you know, a little plug for me. That's what I teach at Iron Mind Hunting. And that's, if people would just do that, it would, there would be a lot more people shooting traditional archery. I guarantee you. Well, there would be a lot more shooting more accurately. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For sure. It was pretty abomination, but uh, I had a point that I was going <laughs> to mention, Joel. Um, when you're talking about uh, clicking that clicker, mm-hmm. one of the things that I've noticed recently, and, you know, I, I got to say that I thought I was a pretty good shot I met Joel. But he was better than me <laughs> from the get-go, and and I've met a lot of guys that that were you know they're good shots and they're, you know they're okay. But Joel was phenomenal, and I told him that the first time I met him, I was like, like "Holy Christ!" I mean, I'm, I couldn't believe it. And you know, I'm talking honey. I'm not talking like Target, you know. You know the yardage, all this stuff. It's unmarked yardage, shooting, 3D, just drilling the snot out of everything. And I was blown away. And um, so I decided to, and I practice all the time. One of the biggest things that intrigued was when he watched me shoot after a half a day or whatever, he was explaining to me exactly how I shoot. And it was exactly how I shot in my mind. And that was, that was pretty incredible. But, you know, I can keep up with him and stay, you know, I'm a close, you know, I'm in, in second place all the time. And so I decided to try his system. And I got to say, in my mind, if someone was watching shoot, it would look like I'm in control and doing my stuff and everything. But in my mind, there's the squirrels are going crazy. I mean, they're just running in a circle, just going, oh, my God, oh, my God, okay, here we go, okay, let's shoot. And using Joel's system with a controlled shot process with the psycho trigger on the grip, I mean, it was at least a 50% anxiety drop from the get-go. I mean, it was like, in fact, I shot two animals uh, this past fall that I'm ready to shoot them because it was an easy shot. I'm just going to shoot them. And I'm like, oh, wait, I got to press this damn trigger thing. And (laughs) pressing the trigger. But here's the thing. Those arrows ran right where I was aiming. And that has happened to me once or twice in my life. Under huge pressure, you know, like an elk or a bear or whatever. And it was like, you know, press through the tree. You know, I'm aiming, press through the, I'm envisioning what's going to happen. I press through the trigger and it happened. It happened four times this year, you know, and so I have to, you know, but it takes a conscious effort and it's not easy. It's not an easy thing, and most people, you know, like I did, I was like, well, you know, all you got to do is do this, and it's not 
every day that I practice. It's not a practice of aiming or one of the things I see now that I know Joel's shooting system and how and all that goes on with it. This blank bail thing is driving me crazy. I want to scream at people when I see it online because, in fact, I had a friend shooting at my house when Joel was here, and he wasn't shooting very good. He kept shooting, and Joel, in front of a lot of people, said, "Stop making yourself worse." This guy, and I was like, "Holy crap!" But he was. He was. He was practicing crappy form and shooting technique, and every time he did it, it reinforced crappy, you know, under pressure shooting misery. I mean, was, there's no reason to continue it. And my point is, if you use a controlled process shooting that Joel teaches, every time you practice, you're getting better. But it takes concentration, and it's hard. And it's not like just going out and flinging arrows. I mean, that doesn't, that does you no good. That makes you worse. And that's what, you know, my friend was doing at that time. He's just worse. Try to, if I shoot a couple more, I'm going to hit that. Boy. I mean, what? I did that for many, many years. Just shooting more and more and more, trying to get better and better and better. And then pretty soon, in the practice sessions, I'd be drilling bullseyes. Oh, my gosh, I'm really good. And then I'd get out there and spend about three weeks hunting, finally get a shot, and just totally blow it. That happened for years. And then, and now, I mean, I mean it could probably still happen, but my confidence level, I get out of my, my – I'm not doing the same type of shooting process. I'm aiming, I, you know, I'm picturing the shot, and then I'm, you know, allowing something else. I mean, it's, well, you've got to understand the control shot process, but I'm, I'm allowing something else to, so that I maintain my form and integrity throughout the entire process. So, what is, what has changed? I don't know how to articulate that. What has changed in, in Brent's shooting and, and everybody's shooting that, that comes through the clinic or takes the online course is you learn what decisions need to be made within a shot. You learn specifically when in the shot to make those decisions, and you learn scientifically how to carry those decisions out. And if, if somebody would approach traditional archery or any archery with, by asking themselves four questions, if they shot a perfect arrow, it's all about formulating the mental blueprint for the perfect arrow. Because then you can take that little gem with you in whatever high-stress event you have. Those questions that I have people ask themselves, number one, after they shoot that perfect arrow, what were you thinking about during that shot? You've got to analyze that and know exactly what you were thinking about during that shot. And if you can do that, you're well on your way to success because it makes things more cognitive. Question number two, were you talking to yourself during that shot? And more specifically, what were you saying 
Question number three, could I have stopped it? Was I so concentrated on very specifically the shot activation movement? And if you don't have a psychological trigger to move to, you don't have a shot activation movement, right? In, in the traditional world when you're shooting with your fingers. So were you so concentrated on that shot activation movement and evaluating it so closely that you could have stopped it at any moment? And then finally, question number four, what decisions did you make to even get yourself into the process for that one shot? And if you can answer all of those questions, you now know exactly how you shot that perfect arrow. And this goes for compound shooting and trad shooting, and firearms, and all shooting. Question number one, what were you thinking about? Number two, were you talking to yourself? What were you saying? Question number three, could you have stopped it? Question number four, what decisions did you make to get yourself into the process? So now when Brent shoots at these critters, because Brent was a hell of a shot before control process shooting, one of the best I have ever seen shoot. And I've shot with thousands of people. Brent was a phenomenal shot, very calm looking when he shot. But now he's got the mental blueprint. Now to watch him shoot, it's phenomenal. And, you know, we were talking some crap because he's coming up to shoot a 3D tournament with me on Saturday. And, you know, I'm just trying to psych him out a little bit, but I'm a little worried because now he's got control process shooting on his side. And uh, so it's going to be battle royale, man. It's going to be pretty battley, but I'll tell you what, Joel, one of the things that I want to touch on with your control process shooting, and I kind of, I've never really taken your course. I've just seen you giving it to other guys. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I mean, I've been around it quite a, uh, several times with different right. guys you're you're doing and one of the things that, and i i don't study it all the time so i kind of forgot and on both of the deer both of the black tail deer i shot this year perfectly they never went to the spot i, I was anticipating them to go to and they're further away than i needed but i just said well i'm just going to draw back see what it looks like Mm -hmm. both of them and the funny thing was was that that's one of your things that when you draw you i may or may not shoot this arrow Mm -hmm. and i drew back on both those deer said you know i just want to see i i worded it differently i was like i'm just going to pull back and see what it looks like a picture of the shot Mm -hmm. and then you know well i it's too far but you know you know i'm talking 15 20 yards but black tail stuff but i was like I'll see what it looks like. I drew back. I, you know, I aimed or I envisioned my flight trajectory. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, it looks pretty good. And then I'm like, yeah, all I got to do is go through and press this trigger. And I went through and pressed the trigger. And as soon as it clicked, I followed through. And both of them, a month apart. Mm-hmm. Just absolute bullseyes. And I can say that probably in all the animals I've shot, I've probably shot maybe two bullseyes in my whole life on an animal. 
Uh-huh. And I did two consecutively this fall. So, you know, it's actually it, it's very, but, very empowering to have that blueprint. And you can take it wherever you want. It's a mental blueprint. So, you know, now when Brent Brent goes and sits in the blind or I go and sit in the blind, I'm not wondering whether I'm going to do good in my shot. I know exactly the shot that I'm going to shoot. And, you know, even this year, I had a big four-point come in, and I'm running. It's at five yards, right? And I'm like, oh, this is going to be awesome, right? So, but... Lucky for me, I took on the challenge of shooting with my thumb years ago, right? Well, your thumb doesn't let go nearly as well as your fingers do, contrary to popular belief. <laughs> so I've, I've got this – I have this mental blueprint that is so strong in me that I will not shoot an arrow unless it's shot perfectly, right? The only part that you don't have control over – is after the psycho trigger pops, right? After that motor program is sent, you don't have any control over that because it's what's called an open loop control system after that. So there's this big blacktail is at five yards, and I'm going to shoot him in the front because it's five yards. I'm shooting the Valkyrie Jaggers. I mean, I know it's going to go out the back of this deer. Penetration is not a worry for me on this situation. Mm-hmm. So there I am. I've been sitting in the blind for 10 hours. And in that 10 hours, I had drawn my bow back about five times just to kind of stay stay loose a bit. And so this big buck comes in right at last light, and I draw back, and he's five yards from me, and I'm pressing through my steer. I'm getting to my psycho trigger. It pops, and when it pops, I let the arrow go. But it didn't let go. <laughs> my, it it snagged on my thumb, and I missed this four-point blacktail, my bucket list critter. At five yards, I miss him by no less than five feet. Right? Talk about a mind blower for you. Oh, man. But, but there is no control that you have after, once that motor program's been sent, it's sent. So it was my thumb didn't let go like it should have. I've done that about three times in my life, and this time just happened to be on my buckless critter. So that buck takes off. He comes back. Now he's what at what I think is 25 yards, and I simply take my blueprint again and plug it into my shot. That buck was not 25 yards. He was about 20. So I took the hair off the top of his back with a well-shot arrow, I might add. Right? Mm-hmm. He runs away. He comes back again. Now, a lot of people at this point would be extremely flustered, right? Yeah. But it doesn't – it's just a shot. Nobody's got a gun to my head, Right. That buck comes back for a third try because luckily for me, there was a cat, a, a doe that came in and, and kind of drew him up the hill again. He stops at 15 yards. I'm at full draw and I simply run my program again and smoked him on the last one. But I mean, sure. Did I get lucky? 
Absolutely. I got lucky in opportunity. I did not get lucky in running my shot. I stayed in control on all of those shots. The first one, my thumb didn't let go like I thought it would. <laughs> and so that's just what, what I have to live with, you know. But lucky for me, I got more shots at it. But, you know, the elk that I shot this year, the, the deer I shot in Texas, I will not shoot an arrow unless it is perfect in evaluation, perfect in form. And people need to approach all archery, traditional and compound shooting like that. Have a plan. Brent Hahn is a shooting machine before control process shooting. Now he's taken all those form skills. Now he's got the mental skills. Now he's going to be unstoppable. And that's where I want people to be because, you know, people get into traditional archery for the additional challenge. And there's, there's things on the internet where it's, it's now known as the struggle stick and this and that. And I would agree. It's a struggle stick unless you have controlled process shooting. If you know how to do it and you know the mental processes, it is a phenomenal journey to be on. And it's just a lot of fun to watch that arrow fly. And especially if it's a controlled arrow, the accuracy you can get out of these bows is amazing. Joel, I got I got Hold on one second. Now, I, you're talking about the struggle stick with the trade gear and all that stuff, but mm-hmm. hey, guys have the same problem. Guys and gals have the same problem with the compound, and they sit there and they're they're practicing the blank bail shooting and things like that. In fact, uh, I I sent you that info on that gal that was having trouble. She's pretty popular, right? right. With a target panic, and I'm like. You're practicing the wrong things. If you would change your mind, you, there's no such thing as target panic. You know, there, that, that is, I don't, in fact, when I, guys are listening in, so when we shoot, when I shoot with Joel, and we go to a 3D or something, there's a lot of grab assing going on. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of ridicule and there's a lot of stuff going on through the shot. Nobody be, no one's quiet while someone's shooting, period. And I, I welcome that because I'm like, yeah, you could talk all you want, but when it comes time to shoot, I'm doing my thing. And that was before, that was last year, before this control shot process. So, um, I just, it, it, I still get, I mean, I get guys, you know, you know, emailing me talking about, you know, I want a blank bail, this and that. What do I use? And I'm like, uh, you know, I'm just, I want to just scream like, just, I mean, how is this not common knowledge? You know, the controlled shop process. Well, it, I don't know. I mean, people haven't researched it enough, I guess. I mean, I, I've dedicated my life to, to figuring it out, how to control my mind under stress in the tactical world and in the, in the hunting and archery world. And, you know, you can watch my video called The Science of Blank Bale Shooting on YouTube, and it will explain what you're actually doing. But th- the basis of what Brent's talking about is people practicing the wrong thing. They're practicing their shooting to get better at shooting. And what they need to be doing in the trad world and in the compound world is using the act of shooting to practice their concentration. Because concentration is the true skill that we're all seeking. You know, 
physically shooting a bow is not that difficult, but mentally being in control of an archery shot is one of the most difficult things there is for the human mind to comprehend. So that's the skill set that we need to be practicing towards. And if you just go out there and sling arrows, you're not making yourself better at concentration. You're not making you your, your blueprints go. Joel, that's exactly what when, when I met you. That's exactly what I my dilemma was. I, I shoot almost every day, mm-hmm. and I practice almost every day on a target bale. I mean, at various shortages, whatever, flat ground. Mm-hmm. Have not improved my accuracy. I had not improved my accuracy for five years. Mm-hmm. Shooting every day, I was still a you know decent shooter, and but I was all I was practicing was not um, anticipating the recoil. And yeah. back when you told me that, when you watched me shoot, you're like, all you do is practice not. You know, trying to shoot through the your body's reaction to the recoil. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh my God, that's exactly what I practice <laughs> every single day. Every day I practice not reacting to the recoil, right. and that's how I became the shot I was. But and now that's not even that's not even part of the program. If I miss a shot, it's a form thing. And now, I mean. Right. I still, if I'm concentrating properly, and if I do everything right and concentrate properly, it's a bullseye. And before it wasn't. It was like close to the bullseye. And about one or two times a practice session, I would shoot the perfect shot. Now, when everything's, when I do everything right, it's a bullseye. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a huge difference. And it's a incredibly, I'd say it's about a, 50% 50% minimum anxiety decrease on the release of the arrow. I mean, I still get a little bit because I don't practice enough, but I mean, it's a it's a completely different ball game. And, yeah. You know, I mean, the, the anticipation of recoil was something that people don't understand, and I didn't either. But that's but I was trying to. I didn't even know what the what the but my practice sessions were trying to overcome my recoil anticipation. That's the my whole practice session. That's what it was about. And, and people you know, envision anything I could put in my mind to overcome that. And people try to do that through physical means, through physical practice, right? So yeah, you know, no, there's no way around it. You can't do it. When people pick up a trad bow or any bow. You know, they they instantly start into that process. And even if they get coaching and one thing about coaching that people need to be beware of is that most coaches will teach you what to do. They'll teach you about back tension. They'll teach you about grip and stance and string grip and all of those things. And then if they have you shoot blank bail, they're teaching you what to do instead of how to actually do it you know somebody might say okay so you're supposed to pull through the shot supposed to add a little more back tension on that trad bow you know when you release the string well that's all well and good however it's actually impossible for the mind to comprehend so 
you know, that coach has got to teach you how to do it and not, you know, nothing out there, no matter what instruction you take, nothing is going to work for you. You have to work for it, but your instruction that you take, that you seek, has got to teach you how to do the work. And that's what it's very, that is what's very rare in the instruction world is actually teaching people how to do it mentally. If you shoot well, a perfect arrow, but you don't know how you did it, there's no way you can repeat it. No, but Joel, that's, that's the important thing about the controlled process shooting mm-hmm. is that it provides you, and this is exactly what I told you when I, after I learned it, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I can see a path to greater accuracy. Mm-hmm. Before, I just keep shooting and shooting and try harder and harder and harder. Dude, I shot every day for years and never improved. <laughs> I mean, I'd have good days and bad days, whatever. But now when I when I'm practicing my concentration, there's a path to greater accuracy. Now when I miss and I I won't hit where I'm aiming and I'll still kill the animal. Guys are like, hey, great shot. And I'm like, shit, I missed it. <laughs> and I, but I but the arrow didn't go where I was where I wanted it to. But everyone right. else sees a great shot. And this and yeah. so. It's a completely different level of concentration, but but the practice is completely different. I'm practicing on developing a, I don't know, maybe a reflex to the click, but I haven't, you know, anyway, but that's the psycho, I was just call it a psycho trader. I mean, right. that's what you call it, but uh, I think you should call it a grip clicker, but anyway. <laughs> Uh, but it, it, it might be too far involved for a lot of guys. But uh, it's exactly. definitely something that people need to look at because shooting a bow and arrow is not very hard. And a yeah. lot more people should be a lot more accurate and wound a lot less animals if they shot properly. Yep. That's, Absolutely. But uh, Zach, I mean, what are some much what I think. Zach, have you taken any questions from folks about trad stuff? Uh, the one, uh, one of the main questions that I had was, uh, a guy was just really interested in getting started. He had never done any type of archery. Um, and, and he just was like, you know, I'm just, I'm just much more interested in traditional type of archery. Uh, but I don't even know where to begin. And, and I just was thinking to myself, I'm like, um, I don't, I don't really want to tell him to go to his local bow shop because chances are, mm-hmm. in, in all honesty, those guys probably don't know much more about traditional archery than I do, you know? So right. I, I just was like, you know what? I know some guys that know a lot about traditional archery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was my answer. <laughs> I just, yeah. I said, be looking for a podcast because, because I know some guys that know a hell of a lot more about it than I ever will. <laughs> Right. And there's, I mean, just getting started is, it, you know, get, get a bow that's not too heavy and, and get one with like an ILF system on it, an international limb fitting so that you can, you can use that riser forever, but you can certainly switch limbs and get, you know, higher and higher poundages up to wherever you want. And you can go from, you know, a, a $90 set of limbs to a $750 set of limbs if you want. You know, that ILF system is a, is a huge range of, of 
you know, quality, speed, smoothness, all those things. And then like Brent was talking about, get you some arrows that match and, and a, a pro shop can help you with that. Brent can help you with that. Uh, you have a rocky- Joel pro shop for that. It's, it's so tough because yeah. they- most of the new, the pro shops, the, in this day and age, unless you're a target archery shop, mm-hmm. they don't have a clue. So yeah. it's, 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 it's super tough, but I would say, um, is if you're going to do trad archery from the get-go, I would look at target archery, like Olympic target archery guys, and the ILF stuff like Joel says, mm-hmm. and use their input to figure out what works best for you. And, and imperative is physical form before anything else. I mean... It's very simple, but the physical form of shooting a bow is important for proper arrow tuning and everything else. And it's, it's, it's pretty simple. And once you get that, then you can work on all the mental stuff of, of actually becoming a good shot. Yeah. I mean, you my- can, if there's any place where blank veil shooting can come in, it's, it's in the first first uh you know week of shooting where you're not where you're not shooting at, at anything uh but then after that once you incorporate aiming into the process that's when that's when the mind starts to take over but as far as getting started goes and pro shops goes there is there is a shop out there called rocky mountain specialty gear in wheat ridge colorado and it's run by tom Clum and danny Clum and tommy Clum. And those fellas know trad archery inside and out, and they will answer all of your questions. They've got the most incredible inventory of trad bows that I've ever seen in my life. And these guys eat, sleep, and breathe trad archery. They've got, you know, they've got compound section in their pro shop as well. But, I mean, these guys are phenomenal. I'm fully involved with those guys. I don't make any money by saying that. I just, they are phenomenal people and I, I do clinics at their place in in wheat ridge all the time they've got an incredible shop there but you can call them on the phone email them whatever you need to do they will answer all of your questions and they do have a clue about traditional archery so rocky mountain specialty gear is a is your one-stop shop for everything trad for sure that's awesome you know and and you know maybe Talk just a little bit more on the importance of your arrows fitting your bow. And the reason I say that is because even all the way, you know, even compound guys, I'll be talking to somebody and they'll be like, yeah, I just got a new bow. And I'm like, okay, cool. What'd you get? You know, and it ends up being like a, a Hoyt carbon or something, I don't know, something like $1,300 bow, right? And I'm like, well, that's awesome, you know, and they start talking about their setup. And I'm like, well, what arrows are you shooting? You know, expecting them to say, some some sort of Easton's or Black Eagles or you know some some good arrow and they're like well I went down to Walmart and I'm like <laughs> I'm like oh god <laughs> like you just spent that much money it's, it's, your bow's not going to perform because your arrows can't handle it you know so maybe if we could talk just a little bit about you know because we talked a little bit about you know types of bows and things like that and we very slightly touched on the importance of your arrows fitting. But if we could talk about that just a little bit more, that would be pretty awesome because 
I know a lot of people right, that Zach, take I'll that take route. <laughs> hey, Zach. Yeah. It doesn't – your arrow is the most important – if you have a decent bow, any decent bow, your arrow is the most important thing for your accuracy besides your form, of course. But if you have an arrow that's not matched to your bow, you're never going to shoot good. I mean, you're, it's impossible. You can't do it. And as far as I don't know if, if your readership is more of the hunting crew, I mean, if you want to get a arrow that's going to kill, give you the best possible chance of of getting your quarry, um, you have to have the proper arrow. That is the most important thing. And one of the things totally lost in the archery industry in the past, I don't know, 20 years or something. I mean, guy, guys don't have any idea what makes a great arrow. You know, an arrow that punches paper on an indoor course is not is not the same as something that will work in the outdoors, in the mountains, and killing animals. I mean, that's it's not the same thing. So, um, but that's a whole another that's a whole another podcast. Yes, I agree. <laughs> uh, getting in, into it in depth for sure is a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but I just was so like, let me. One of the things is I want to know if uh, a short course is if you can develop your form within a month or two in a, with a trad bow that suits you, a 35 or 40 pounder if you're new. And you have arrows, and you're shooting them. They feel pretty good. You have field tips. If you just put a any two-blade broadhead on them, any two-blade broadhead that weighs the same as your field tips, and shoot them at 20 yards, if they don't hit in the same spot, they're not tuned. So that that's when you would want to get a little more tuning involved. But if you're shooting field tips and they're hitting where you want, and you're brand new to it, I would just stick with it and just practice your form and your shooting in your control shot process and then, you know, work on it down the road. I mean, in the beginning, but mo but I will say this. Most bow shops that I've seen with the intro level trad gear don't even have arrows that'll work with them. They don't even have them. So uh, a, a place like our uh, Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear, or something like that, would probably be a place I would call and contact and and tell them what you're doing, and they will be able to set you up with the right arrows for the for you know your intro bow. But other than that, you can't do you can't do the Walmart, you can't do the local. Most of the time, you can't do the local pro shop because they have they don't know. I mean, they're into you know hunting guys that have been shooting for years with compounds and you know there's a sell and what sells the best pretty much and uh, and they're not really going to help you out and you'll be just you have your back against the wall and fighting yourself the whole time so my uh my brent Hahn story is we had a, a mutual <laughs> friend at pope and young and he said, oh, you need to you need to talk to my friend Brent. And I'm like, OK, who's Brent? <laughs> so uh, a little while later after this show, I get a phone call from Mr. Hahn 
And I consider myself fairly knowledgeable about archery and shooting and such. And Brent calls me and says, hey, you need to shoot my arrows. <laughs> I'm like, whatever, dude. I shoot East and ACCs, and I've shot East and ACCs since the 90s. I will probably have East and ACCs with me in my casket. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I don't care. Those dude. are a great arrow, by the way. He goes, great arrow, yeah. You, you need to come down here and shoot my arrows. And I'm like, okay, where do you live? And he tells me where he lives. I'm like, you're four hours from me. I'm in route. So I, I drive down to Brent's house. He hands me an arrow, and it is uh, – I you know, I, I'm a pretty meticulous guy on my arrows when I put them together. And so I'm looking at his work, first of all. Yeah, they are very meticulous. Eyebacks on his arrows. Just so you know, so you know, you know, he's a little off. <laughs> yeah, so I'm uh, I'm looking at these arrows that he's put together and and very well done, I might add. So I take the first one from him with a with a 290 grain broadhead on it and a broadhead that I'd never seen before. And he says, "Here, shoot this." And I know he's testing me. So I I think we're at like 35 yards, 30 yards or something. And, of course, I'm shooting my bows backwards. It's got the arrow on the wrong side of the bow. I'm pulling the thing past my ear, no anchor point craziness. And I shoot that arrow, and it goes in the spot. And I went, huh. And I turn around to him, and he just hands me another arrow, identical. Same broadhead, same everything. And I shoot that one in the spot right next to the first one. And that's when I thought, hmm, maybe I don't know everything about arrows. So once we start into the process of tuning the arrow to my bow and all of the things that goes into the into the Valkyrie arrow system, it was uh, it's the only thing that I've really done in archery in the past, oh gosh, 20 years, I would say, that has truly increased my accuracy is simply switching to those arrows and uh, it's phenomenal so i mean if you need to know about arrows brent hahn is the man for that he schooled me and and i appreciate it i agree well, i learned well, a ton to, uh, it's not i gotta chime in here because <laughs> you had a great arrow before with that acc stuff but that's what most guys are doing and yeah. but what when I developed the arrow system, what, you know, cause I wasn't, I didn't have any sponsor. I just had a job that allowed, and I loved archery and I had a job that allowed me the time and the money to test everything out there oh. and to even venture beyond. And when I started doing this stuff and going to the extreme FOC and all this stuff, I was like, I couldn't believe the accuracy and penetration I was achieving. and the, But beyond that, the most amazing thing was I couldn't believe that it wasn't available. I was, yeah. I, was, I was like, oh, my God. And when you told me what you had and what you're bringing down, I was like, dude, you can't get there with that, bro. You know, <laughs> that's because, no, but, but if you're into the industry, you had the absolute best setup possible that right. was available 
on, you know, on the retail market. I mean, you had mm-hmm. it. And, yeah. and that was something that I had gone past for a few years. And, mm-hmm. but I was, you know, manufacturing my own stuff and, you know, modifying everything. And then once I got, you know, and I read all the Ashby stuff and, uh, Ashby, you know, the Ashby Broadhead study and all that stuff. But, you know, it's all theoretical and there was no way to get there with what was available in the archery industry. You really couldn't do it. I mean, Grizzly Stick was the first people to come along and they kind of went mm-hmm. off the deep end on the heavy side, which was great. And it was, you know, everybody liked that. And I, I did it a little bit. And I dabbled and I spent thousands of dollars. And then I was like, you know, I, I don't I don't like lobbing these logs. I mean, I don't mm. – that's not fun for me because I'm a shooter. I like to shoot. And I like to shoot far. And, you know, I, the trajectory is so high that I, with these heavy arrows, I can't do it. And, I'm, and plus my shoulder, I'm – you know, that's back when I was shooting 70-pound bows. And so I had to shoot – the only reason I shot those heavy bows was to launch a 650-grain arrow <laughs> with about a 100 foot per second trajectory you know i mean i needed that because that was my trajectory and um i just got sick of it it was everyone could read about the theory of ashby and what works and it's indisputable what works i mean what he uncovered in those studies and everybody can look them up with the uh, ashby tal studies they're all over the internet it's indisputable, but there's really no path to get there modern equipment, unless you went with Grizzly Stick and totally overdid it. And so what I did was finally one day in my garage, I'm like, hey, you know what? Let's just make what we need to get pretty much there and still have decent trajectory, great penetration, great accuracy, and just, you know, go with it. No one's got it. There's just not there. And that's what... I mean, that's kind of where we went and that's where we are right now. And, you know, hopefully it'll start a revolution. We'll start, everyone will start killing more animals, being more accurate and. Wounding less. Yep. What else you got, Mr. Harold? I, that's, we covered a bunch of stuff. 50 bucks on arrows and go start shooting, killing stuff. I mean, that's. Not going to happen. But the most important thing is you got to get through to them when you edit this is that equipment is important. Form is better and shooting process is best. So I I mean, that's, that's the one, two, three right there. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know. Joel ain't going to argue with that. I mean, that's, that's. Decades of experience talking right there. It doesn't, your bow doesn't really matter. Tuning matters. Equipment is important. But in the end, if you can't put, put it in the proper area under stress, nothing matters. Right. (laughs) It's all kind of for naught. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, but you know, guys want an easy solution that there is no easy solution. And, And Joel's practice is not easy. It's a pain in the ass. It's like work. <laughs> it is. So you can't go out there and you know have a couple of beers and go shooting. That's just it's just not like that. I mean, you go out there and you practice your program and then you're done and you get better. And you do get better. Okay, boss. Well I'm gonna scoot right, bring, 
Brent, you better practice, buddy, because it's on. Uh, I don't. I haven't been doing a whole bunch. I've been doing a bunch of other stuff. So I'm just going to have to go with what you taught me. All right. All right. Adios, see, you, uh, all right see you guys. Adios, thank man. you again. Thank you for tuning in to the show. It means a lot to us. But seriously, though, I really appreciate your ear. And it would mean the world to me if you would rate our podcast. If you didn't like it, one star it. But if you did, a five is even better. Don't forget to comment, like, share, and hit that subscribe button. Thanks again for tuning into the show. Some other podcasts that you should definitely check out are... Eastman Elevated with Bride and Barney. And Hunt Harvest Health with Ryan and Hillary Lambers. And a special thanks to... Maven Optics, Six Sight Gear, Dark Energy Tech, Shield Mountain Outdoors, The Outdoor Insiders, Iron Mind Hunting, Valkyrie Archery, and Gannett Ridge Sporting Equipment.